0: From Hamilton Place Strategies in Washington, D.C., this is the HPS Insights Podcast.
1: Welcome to HPS Insights, a podcast from Hamilton Place Strategies, analyzing the current events impacting the business and political communities. I'm your host today, Brian DeAngelis, a managing director here at HPS teaming up with Stacey Kerr, one of our partners here for another edition of the HPS book club series.
0: Yeah, hey Brian, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation with Mike.
1: We're really excited about this conversation. We are hosting today, Mike Hayes, the former commanding officer of SEAL Team Two a White House fellow and former director of defense policy strategy at the National Security Council. Uh, After his distinguished military and government service, Mike went on to top positions at Bridgewater Associates, Cognizant Technology, and he's currently the chief digital transformation officer at VMware. Mike, welcome to HPS Insights, and thanks for joining us today.
2: Brian, thanks for having me. Stacey, thank you as well. And congratulations, first of all, and thank you for all the incredible impact that you both and HPS has had. I'm a huge fan.
0: Well, Mike, I think it's safe to say you're the first Navy SEAL we've ever had on HPS Insights. And to be honest, some of our listeners might find that a bit unusual considering the guests that we typically have on the program. But you've written a great book here about teamwork, leadership, service called Never Enough. So much of that can be applied here uh, today.
1: Yeah, Mike, I've I've spent the last week reading the book and I, I found myself recognizing over and over again, almost every chapter, a lot of the things we teach here at HPS. We sort of pride ourselves on uh bringing in young talent uh teaching them and training them in the way we work and and how to succeed both in Washington and in in public affairs and i saw a lot of overlap but i I'll, I'll be honest i learned a few new things as as well that i think we can all benefit from and I think we'll get lots of copies of this book to share around the office, but wh- why don't you start? Tell us about the book, what what you hope to accomplish with it. What what motivated you to, to share this now?
2: Well, Brian, thanks for asking. First of all, I would start with the title, Never Enough Can Sound Like Fame and Fortune. It's intentionally provocative. It's not fame and fortune. It's about meaning and impact. And I've been really fortunate to live a life of hundreds, if not thousands, of once-in-a-lifetime experiences and I'm really passionate about sharing and giving back. So for me, the book was all about uh, a window into not only insights of specific events, but most importantly, trying to make the, the, the stories and the concepts relatable so that if you're not a SEAL or you're not working in the White House Situation Room, that you can still draw from it and say, how does it apply to my life? It's really part business, part leadership, part memoir, part inspiration, and uh, and, and for me it's it is genuinely about giving back. Uh, one of the things I, I would also highlight is that I started a 501 C3 that pays off mortgages yes. for all gold star families, and all of my profits from this book are are going to the to the ch- to the charity, paying off mortgages for the gold Star families. That's yeah. wonderful work,
1: and I, I want to I wanna spend some time at the end of the
2: show talking
1: about that because that's great work you're doing.
0: Yeah, and Mike, so not everybody in the military or government service or in the private sector will have the experiences you've had, so sharing them is, is, is certainly important, as you just laid out, but what can people take away from this book to help them in their careers wherever they sit?
2: I think one of the main themes in the book is that leaning into the hard things is where the learning and the growth comes from. So in, in the SEALs, we certainly uh, move to the problem. It's what I've also seen done sometimes really, really well in Washington, D.C., and sometimes uh, less than well. And so I think that you know a lot of people look at like success and fi- failure as binary. One of the things, Brian, that as you, you would know that I wrote about is failure is only failure if you fail and don't learn. If you fail and learn and you try something hard, you're, you're going to have that feedback loop where you improve and you, you, you do the thinking, the reflective, the f- reflection and the objectivity about what you did so that, uh, so that as you move through you know, life, just broadly, professional, personal, whatever, that, uh, that we're all getting better all the time. And then what I would say is it's not about getting better so that we um, just ourselves pull ourselves up. I think it's about really becoming better so that we can make others better. I, when I applied for the White House Fellowship, I still very vividly remember one of the essays was very simply, why do you want to be a White House fellow? And it was one of those 200 word uh, answers, I, I, which we all know is harder to <laughs> write than a thousand word question. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And my, my answer was simple. Uh, it was that I don't want to just positively impact people. I want to positively impact people to go positively impact others. And you create that nonlinear effect that is great for the nation. That point
1: you, you made a few times in the book about, about doing the hard things, you know, getting comfortable with uh, being uncomfortable. It's something we preach a lot here you know, and we hire, and they'll be starting in a few weeks, you know, 15 to 20 recent college grads every year. And, you know, a big push in that first year is, oh, you're a great writer. Let's work on PowerPoint and Excel. Oh, you hate math? Like, let's really get you into some data analysis. And it, it's something that really stuck out to me in the book. The other lesson that really jumped out with me was that, was this story about read, Uh, A young CEO you were working with on, I believe it was an energy power saving project. And when to recognize how it's more important to let others stand up and and take ownership of something they've been working on than necessarily the the next up in command. The managing director has to speak to the client or the commander has to speak to the secretary. Tell us more about your your thinking about that and how you approach that in, in both business and government.
2: Absolutely. First of all, Brian, it's cliche that leaders accept um, more of the blame and less of the credit. It's cliche for a reason. But so let's set that aside and say, really, uh, what, what does it actually mean? What it really means is comfort with your organization. When you can take in this story, for example, a 22-year-old new SEAL to go brief the Secretary of the Navy on what the SEALs were doing with green energy, that takes some, some confidence in the, the 22-year-old. Right but then what it really takes is also uh the ability to recognize that what's the worst that's going to happen here that to my former point if, if you fail and learn you're you're going to have a great lesson that you're not going to have you're not, you're, you're going to be able to improve from so i i think a lot of times people don't try those hard things because they don't go that last little step of of visualizing what people think failure is like and so you know if if we really try something hard how many of us have friends and family that are going to actually think less of us for trying the really hard thing and then failing. It's, it, if those people are going to think less of us, we should we don't need to be around them. And so to me, the leadership component of that is helping inspire people to try the hard thing, but also building a culture where they're comfortable, understanding that individuals can fail, but while an organization doesn't.
0: Yeah, and Mike, in the book, you focus on flexibility and agility, leading and following. And I think that's, you know, I, I think the word and there is so important. I think it's maybe one of the most important words and as we all navigate these new sort of dynamic landscapes. It can be both, not or. And so can you talk a little bit about how this, um, how does this translate from your SEAL stories into your corporate experience? There's, um, you know, you talk in part, part of the book, um, how we must all be leaders and followers and how to know when to be which. And that's a, that's a key part of leadership, right? Can you talk a little bit more about that?
2: Yeah, Stacey, great topic. The key thing is the last thing you said, which is knowing when to do which. You know, we all have heard about servant leadership and, and moving back. Ultimately, growing up in both the SEALs and now 10 years in the private sector, uh, I, I have learned to need no credit in that because the, the, the way the organization performs is either my success or my less than success. And so it, it's not about me. It's about what does the organization, what does the team do? It, you know, I, I never say somebody works for me. My whole life I've only said I work with people. And so it's, a, it's a, that preposition is really uh, seems like a small three letter words, but it really changes the dynamics about how to think about teams I so, agree. So the the I think a lot of people will call themselves either leaders or they'll say, yes, I know how to follow. The tricky part is knowing when to move forward, when to, to move back. Uh, Stacey, to me, the right answer to that is thinking about what the cost of failure is if it's a SEAL operation that can't go can't go wrong, you're gonna put the A team in. Like your you, your absolute best of the best is gonna be in the right positions. But we're all trying to learn and grow. And so how do you take that um that PowerPoint person and the and the uh and the Excel person and the uh you know the, the reader and the writer, like and put them into the different situations like you just talked about, Brian? Like that, that's that's growth. And so in the corporate right. world, what what we try to do is think about succession planning and say, is our is the second line ready to kind of step up and be the first line? And the only way the second line can really be ready become ready to be the first line is by getting some you know some reps in the reps in the gym, if you will. And, yes. and it takes leaders to be comfortable saying, "Hey, second line, like you move forward and you own this." Because look, it's it's not going to be if it does go sideways or or, or fails then. It's not going to be catastrophic for the business. So it's it's said succinctly. It's the judgment between knowing when the cost of failure can be borne or not. Mike, correct me
1: if I'm I'm wrong here, but um, you you made several points along those lines throughout the book, and I came away as a reader with a sense of there was a lot that you learned through your your SEAL training and your SEAL service, but there were other things that really stuck out to me, like your your decision when you first became Commander of SEAL Team Two to fly out to Coronado and attend the graduation of the of the new graduates. That stuff felt more to me like instinct or something you knew that that you didn't learn through the SEALs, but but maybe learned through other parts of your life.
2: So your right parents. On
0: that? Yeah. yeah, it sounds like something you learned from your parents <clears throat> in your upbringing. <laughs>
2: My my mom uh, my mom is a a, a, a a serial helper of people and a, a works in the social impact uh, arena through her whole her whole life and career and look I, I really have grown up whether it was my mom my dad my grandparents whomever being able to think about the word empathy which really means looking at yourself through the lens of somebody else and say what is going to inspire what are the, what's the outcome that you're trying to achieve and if you really deeply believe in the one team concept or, and or, or equity of, of, uh, of, of both opportunity and availability and, and treating people like they're all important to the cause. Really, I, I think it's so critical to be able to see what you're doing through the lens of somebody else. A lot of things make sense or don't make sense to ourselves, but we have these uh, unconscious biases that sometimes uh, it, it takes a lot of work to say, how do I... Um, How do I think differently? How do I surround myself with people who don't think like me so that you can make better decisions and, and ultimately, you know, make people feel welcome and and you get the best out of the team when everybody, while some, while some are new and some have different abilities and skills, everybody is bringing something to the table. And how do you get the best out of those people in that one team effort is really, really something every SEAL grows up learning how to do. I want to jump in on a,
1: on a quick follow-up there and then I'll let Stacey ask another one. Um, there were also several examples of for lack of a better term uh seals who who made some serious mistakes who who warranted discipline and i from my understanding you could have easily made a decision to send them home kick them out get you know get the distraction out of the way, but you took a different path, and to that last point, you saw something valuable, in them that you wanted to pull out. How do you take that lesson and, and apply that to your work in corporate America
2: and, and government service as well? Great question, Brian. I think it, it has to start with the uh, assessing the—I'll call it the the shortcoming or the infraction or whatever that negative word is—and saying is it character and values. Or is it an abilities Mm. question? And when somebody doesn't have the character or the values or the integrity that you need for your organization, that's a red line. Like there's just no no debating that. And that has to be hived off and moved out of an organization. Now that usually is, um, hopefully is the smaller of the two cases. The better case is, Hey, somebody just didn't have the the right abilities to go do something, and so how do you invest in that person? While you, we hear the word discipline and can think like you know a lot of negative words, discipline is actually can actually be a really positive word. And to flip it and say, okay, it's an opportunity to learn. As a leader, I might feel really good by I don't know hypothetically raising my voice at somebody or saying choosing words that are really harsh. That does nothing. I never do that, and the reason I don't is because I'm thinking about. What do I need the organization to be in the future? And how do I help the person see what should happen the next time? And then, uh, and then it's, and then, in, like, get rid of that, that either that ignorance or retrain something and, and invest in people so they can become better. You know, uh, in full disclosure, you know, I've, I've dealt with both sides of those equations. I, I had a situation where, you know, uh, everybody's heard of the, the newspaper test, and if, if your actions were on the front page of the paper, are you proud or not? If, sure. if you know, I've lived that, I mean, I have to think about that a lot. Yeah, I think about it a lot. And uh, in fort, you know, I woke up one day and front page of the New York Times said headline said seals a beating death and a cover up or something like that. And I was like, okay, well, that happened. Uh, th- that, that happened in my time in Afghanistan. And I knew that I would be fine in that article. It wasn't a flattering article for the seals. Uh, it, it, every great organization has challenges to work through what what defines an organization to me isn't whether or not they have hard situations it's how they handle them that's what defines an organization and to me I went on record in this particular case recommending that these four seals be moved out of the seals and so look i, I would i would uh, i mean the people listening can google it and read for themselves but i would argue that i'm one of the few people in that article that came out on the right si- on the on the positive side of that
0: Mike, you share a few stories in the book of of also certainly your time disciplining or making choices on that, but also times when you made choices to push back on your superiors and following your instincts versus an order. And I think, you know, that's probably surprising to most people as they think about seals as never, you know, disregarding orders. What led you to make those decisions? And why do you think you were able to sort of get away with that?
2: Uh, good question. For the audience who's a little less familiar, we won't have spoiler alert here, but the, uh, what, what I would say in this particular situation, what you're always looking at is, is the risk that you're going to assume to do something worth assuming? Now, we have uh, sometimes tensions between high-level policy and then the, and then the, um, the, the execution of policy, Right. And so sometimes, you know, I've been at somebody I'm somebody who's been in D.C. in the sit room and been on the front lines in Afghanistan and Iraq. And it's funny because no matter what side you're on, you think the other side doesn't quite understand what you're doing. You know, and it's just natural. It's a natural built intention, you know, thousands of miles away. The answer to your question more directly, Stacey, is that uh, having the confidence uh, to To push back is really something that comes from uh, experience growing up and, and and also being ready to make a decision that you uh, will pay the consequences for in this the, the quick story here is that there was a situation where a je- the, the policy was go back in and look at boots on the ground battle damage assessment so that we know that we didn 't harm any civilians, which of course we never wanted to do and, and would never be the goal. But but the policy made sense because it had a chilling effect on on making sure that we had minimized civil, civilian casualties. Particular night, it wasn't the smart thing to do. It was a, a single choke point road, lots of, known to be uh, laden with explosives. I got ordered to send these these uh, these these, these uh, um, U.S. service people back down into this situation, and I said, "No, it's not worth risk. It's worth assuming." Uh, a very senior person who I'll leave unnamed said. Nope. You, you, okay, you you have to do this, and I, I continued to push back and said we won't do it. It doesn't make sense. Uh, this general ended up ordering the Afghan army to go down and to do this, and unfortunately, two of the three vehicles got got massively blown up. One of them completely vaporized, and then it was it was a, a, several Afghans were killed. And uh, one of the most emotional days of, of my life. I've had many. Uh, but was go flowing going flying to go back to see this team these these were special forces green berets incredible americans and sitting down with this team and and then the 12 of them closing the door with me and and we just talking the day after and and uh man i even now it 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 just really brings back strong memories around these 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 green berets saying hey sir you know there's not too many senior leaders in the military that would would do what you just did And at least half of us are still here in this room, still, at least half of us are still here in this room today because of your decision. That was, that was great leadership. It was a really moving story
1: in the book and and I appreciate you sharing it. Um, Let's, let's take a quick break. When we come back, um, Mike, I want to talk a little bit about some, some current events. I want to talk about President Biden's Afghanistan policy. Um, And I also want to talk about the great work you're doing with Gold Star families. So we'll be right back. You're listening to HBS Insights.
0: Every Friday, Hamilton Place Strategies founding partner, Tony Fratto, joins John Fagan and Brendan Walsh of Markets Policy Partners for the HPS Macrocast, an in-depth look at the macroeconomic news driving the week. Check out the latest episode at hamiltonplacestrategies.com slash podcast.
1: We're back on HBS Insights. Our guest today is Mike Hayes, author of Never Enough. And we're talking about his experience in the Navy SEALs, his work as a White House Fellow and, and his Corporate America. And Mike, we're really excited to, to have you here today. Um, I want to talk a little bit about politics before we let you go. Um, it's, it's what we focus on so much Uh, living here in Washington, as I'm sure you're well aware. And I do want to get your take on on President Biden's recent decision to withdraw U.S. troops from Afghanistan. You published a piece, I think last week on, on Time Magazine's website, supporting the decision and without being presumptuous, I, I have to assume that's not an easy position for you to take or, or popular among a lot of the folks you, you served with. Um, but why do you think it was the right decision for President Biden to take?
2: Yeah, ultimately, in, like I said in that article in Time, I, I was interviewed in the ninth year of the war by the uh, Wall Street Journal in an embedded reporter in the middle of Afghanistan and said, you know, nations are really good at starting wars and really bad at ending them, and, and, and we'll need a political set settlement, you know, almost more than a decade later, no political settlement. The, uh, what we really need to think about is the, um, is the forward-looking use of our resources and uh, comparing that to our, our strategy. And so as our strategy changes, the question is, are we using our resources in the right way? And so one of the things that I, I talked about is that it's hard to measure the opportunity cost of, 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 where we spend our resources. And it's also in embedded in that cost benefit analysis. It's really hard to appreciate the positive value that comes with resting and refitting and training the, the, the forces. And it's really easy to say, oh, that was only 2,500 people, you know, service men and women that we wanted to leave behind in Afghanistan, but look that's that's a that's still that, that's that's a lot large that number's low, but by the time you add all the, the the layers of of staff attention and all the way across the layers and you know contractors et cetera et cetera, it 's not two thousand five hundred people it 's actually quite larger and that brought me to the point of right like let 's make sure we 're using the right metrics you know in the private sector. my job now is to as as I help run a really large business is to say. Let's use data and, and make sure our, we're staring at the right data and thinking about it, it, if, if we're um, having the impact we want to have. Look, t- 20 years, like we are we are uh, we're at a stalemate. And um, and it's it's my personal opinion that we, there are really two policy reasons. There's uh, to, to be into Afghanistan. There's the 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 essence of the question was was really transnational terrorism. You know, when we entered, entered Afghanistan, we thought it was a a hotbed. It was a hotbed for transnational terrorism. Now that has by and large moved to other places that are, are, um, that are whether Africa, other parts of Central Asia, et cetera. And the Department of Defense is incredible. They're they're pursuing in ways that I both know and don't know, uh, in, in, in the, to, to keep us okay. to keep pressure on those networks. And that's what they're focused on, very rightly so. And awesome leadership. Uh, quick follow
1: up, and then I'll I'll, I'll kick it to Stacy. Um... These decisions are are hard for a president to make, and and you've you've been in that room in the Situation Room around big decisions like our our Star Treaty um, uh, around nuclear weapons, and you know we're we're all well familiar with the the politics of today that just make any decision hard. Never mind you know cross party politics and and trying to get people to agree. Um, what lessons do you have from your experience or can you share with today's political leaders or, or today's staff, today's White House fellows of how to get people to, to come together on some of these tough ass that they have
2: it is the most important question and figuring out look the, the our founding fathers made this nation so that half the country would be really happy and half the country would be less than happy on, on who are making decisions in whatever branch it's a good of way to it describe is. it, yeah, it was, and yeah so like we need to embrace that like that is our system and so the question is like how can we you know. Are, um, press forward on what we all believe should happen as individuals. That's what makes the democracy. That's the foundation and fabric of our democracy. But, but Brian, you hit on something that I think is the most foundational, which is how do we do a better job of not making the world a zero or a one? And I, that is, per, to me, one of the most important issues in Washington that is not getting addressed. And let's take, for example, the infrastructure spending. Should we spend a, a trillion nine or three trillion? You know the way that I would think about it, and I this is, this is going to be in, like intentionally simplistic and Pollyannish, but if we said if we imagine a poll where you asked Americans, would you rather uh, win or lose fifty percent of the time and then have uh, uh, and have a, a lot less volume move through of, of progress move through the system, right. or would you rather have uh, more compromise and a lot more volume and velocity for transforming the nation and moving us to where we need to get to? I would. I think any economist would look at GDP, which is just labor times productivity, which comes from policy. They would that that person would say, no, the velocity is better off. You know, does do, I'm using the infrastructure bill as a, as, sure. a, as a metaphor, sure. but you know, 1.9 or 3.0. What, so I, if we first ask the question about would you be, would you would would all 330 million Americans rather have compromise? We need to get that answer to be a yes we need so that comes from uh that comes from changing that there are many different angles media it comes from uh, better right. data better education uh, around the issues it comes from better awareness uh, evidence-based decision making and um and influence and so to me i think then what you do is if we could agree as a nation that look i'd rather get the velocity and the volume through the system to make progress for the country then, once that agreement is made, then you can take okay, what are the issues that that, that are very clearly right or left, or whatever dichotomy you want to use uh, uh, p- between let's say one point nine and 3.0? and how do you come together and talk about what's in that rough middle of, of that could go either way? and look, elections have results whether whoever party is in power, they should it shouldn't be 50-50. you know whenever whenever the leadership is it tilts a certain way that, in, in, that should reflect the voice of of America. And, and, and policy should tilt the way that, that uh, the citizens have voted. And so that, that, but to me, the world can't be a zero or a one. And we need to figure out a better way to drive toward a, a compromise type of solutions. And, um, and look, I know it's Pollyannish, but, but just very simplistically, that's, that's a that's great like, point. That's my view.
0: And, and Mike, I want to, let me ask you one thing on that. If you could sort of tell the leaders in Washington today, one thing. If you could get them to change one thing that they're doing, what would that be?
2: It, it would it to would move be a,
0: towards that direction. To yeah. get them to move towards that direction.
2: Stacy, it's awesome. It, it is a very my answer will be very boring. It, it, it is it is very simply uh, com- that empathy point we made before and communication and actually understanding what the word compromise really means. Yeah. It's
0: great well, it, it, Mike, something everybody can agree on, I know, is the support for the sacrifices that the families of the men and women that you have served with have to make. And I know it's it's a place where you spend your time and your resources. And um, uh, even though your military career ended, you still spend um, a lot of time helping those families through your the 1162 Foundation tell us about that that foundation and what it does and how others can help
2: well thank you again for asking that Stacy the 1162 foundation is named after the day that JFK started the the seals January 1st of 62 and it, it, it's also a little bit of um, um, representative of what gold star families need which is you know January 1st is you know new year new new you kind of thing uh, renewal and moving forward, the, these families have paid the ultimate sacrifice. And so I, like every SEAL of my era, have buried far too many friends. You may see two flags over my left shoulder. Those are meaningful flags to me. The, um, the, uh, but, but every service person who has been overseas or, or uh, supported from, from the, the, the continental U.S. has been involved in this, these types of situations. And it's all about taking care of those who, who we will never forget. So for me, that's ultimately why I wrote the book. It was a challenging decision in some regards because it, it, you have to put yourself out there. You have to be vulnerable. No one wants to read a book about how great someone is, and so you know you just you can't be the president of your own fan club. You need to pull out and say, "What did I learn?" And that usually comes from mistakes. What would I do differently? What would I do better? And that takes vulnerability and openness. And as I've gotten older, I've become much more comfortable with that. But the uh, the way I'd say to the way to get involved, Stacy, first of all, is is to think about service, uh, whether you're in the service or not. Don't just go thank a service person. Go think about whatever service makes sense to, to you as an individual. We all have different interests and abilities, very rightfully so. How do the, 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 you know, we have a million-ish person DOD. How do the other 329 million Americans serve? We um, pick your own ways. Get off the sidelines. I don't care what it is. Go, go cut fire breaks in a forest somewhere or teach for America or whatever it is become an owner in the country. That would be the best way to help. That's what the message of a never enough is ultimately about is pulling us up. And so for me, that's what I get really passionate about is trying to make us better as a nation. Secondly, I would say to answer your question more literally is, Hey, help me get the book out there. I'm not making a penny on the book on never enough. It's um, it's uh, all going to uh, this great cause around that, that literally pays off the mortgages for gold our families. Uh, I bought my, what well, the foundation bought our fifth house, right around Thanksgiving for a woman who lost her husband in the middle of the war in Afghanistan. She got back on her feet with a a small business, lost it during the pandemic. She and her kids were legit homeless until our foundation bought her a house. It was one of those, those five days are are, are some of the best days of my life. Wonderful work. Yeah, it's great.
0: Well, it's a, it's a great way to, um, to help such a, a noble and, and great cause while learning a ton. And I think that's the the biggest piece you're not uh you're not just calling people uh, to help you're giving them a lot of great insight, and you're doing exactly as you set out to do, Mike in this is sharing that perspective from these really unique opportunities that you've had in in your life
1: I think we have to leave it there um, as a boston college grad it's It's hard to say this to a holy cross man, but uh, <laughs> this is one of the the most impressive conversations I think we've we've had on HPS Insights, and you've had a remarkable career. It is a great book. I, I strongly encourage all our listeners to check out Never Enough, A Navy SEAL Commander on Living a Life of Excellence, Agility, and Meaning. I, I loved the book. I think our, our listeners and folks who follow us at HPS will, will as well. So Mike, thank you for coming on. Love to have you back on soon.
2: Brian and Stacey, thanks to each of you. Genuine and deep, meaningful thanks for all that you each and your organization does for for this great nation. Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks, Mike. Great.
2: Um, Thank you all to our listeners. You
1: can find out more about the book um, and and a link to where to purchase it. Information on Mike on our website at hamiltonplacestrategies.com or by following us on Twitter at HPS Insight. I'm your host, Brian DeAngelis with Stacey Kerr. Thanks as always for listening to HPS Insights.
0: Thank you for listening to the HPS Insights podcast produced by Hamilton Place Strategies. For the latest updates, follow us on Twitter at HPS Insights and follow us on the web at hamiltonplacestrategies.com.